team. Let's pray together. So, Father, we thank you just for the great gift that is to be in your presence, to, that you've created music to carry us through your throne, and we thank you for the gift of our worship team and music, which moves our hearts and our minds to you. And so, Lord, I pray that this final Sunday of Lent, that uh, you might meet us, your love might wash over us, you might grant us courage by your word to not be afraid and to follow you into the future into what you have for us. So, Lord, may we all drink to the dregs the cup you have for us, that your name might be glorified. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Thank you. Please be seated, everybody. Good morning. Happy Palm Sunday. I hope you got your palms. So today our theme is the final Sunday of Lent, saying no to self-will and saying yes to God's will. So throughout the whole series, we're on like really the final week of Lent, we talked about saying no to distractions and technology and saying no to anger and saying no to fear and saying no to greed, saying no to food last week. And today, saying no to self-will. And all those no's are so we can say a yes. But you've got to say a no to say a yes. And today, just saying yes to God's will. In some way, today is a kind of brings all these previous weeks of Lent together as we prepare and get ready for next Sunday, which is Easter. But I want to begin by telling a story uh, of a novel I recently read called uh, Crow Lake. I was reading it for fun. But God met me in the middle of the novel. And it's a story about a little uh, girl named Kate. And she has an older brother, about 15, 16 years old, named Matt. And he would take her uh, to visit a pond nearby. They're, they were living in a very, very small town way up in the northern parts of Canada. And what they would do is they would get to this pond, and Matt, her older brother, would have her lie down on her, they, were, they both lie down on their bellies, and their heads would be hanging over the water. And they would look for insects, and look for tadpoles, and frogs, and turtles. And Matt, in laying on her belly, would show her the, the miraculous, and the beauty. And at one point, she tells a story of a little, a little small beetle uh, was crawling towards the water like on a plant. And they're thinking, or she's thinking, oh my gosh, what's going to happen when this beetle hits the water? You know, it's going to drown. And so Matt says, well, maybe it's going to lay some eggs, you know, and they don't really know. But to make a long story short, the beetle goes right into the water. And they go, oh. But then they realize that the, the, the beetle has created almost like a personal submarine bubble. And actually does it through, through its hairs and, and creates this kind of a, submarine that no, the water can't get in, but he stores oxygen in it before he goes in. And so while the beetle's under the water, as long as the oxygen takes place, he, he can move around and, and, and get done what he's got to get done. But uh, so I looked up on the internet, you know, about what's a, un, what's a beetle under water look like? And here's what I found. <laughs> but I suspected this wasn't it. So I did find a beetle in the water. And uh, what happens, Kate, the seven-year-old, grows up and she becomes a university professor in zoology and teaches all about insects and things like that. And uh, so she, she, she's, however, become very cerebral and heady. And she's no longer lying on her belly. Now she's just a researcher. So she's teaching a third-year class of university students, and she's teaching them about the beetle going down into the water. 
and about this whole concept of this, how it uses its hair to form a, a bubble, an air bubble inside the water, etc. But the students are completely bored. They're yawning, they're tired, and the kid in the first row lets out, lets out a big yawn. And then, and, and then she realizes how far she has come because she doesn't see anything miraculous anymore. All she, for her, it's just science. You know, it's just all heady. She doesn't have any emotion or passion in it. And, and again, the story evolves. She changes her life and all that. But it was a story, for me, it so captures something about life. It's so easy to go through, especially the Christian life. In a sense, everything's just in our heads. We're detached. We're emotionless, passionless. Versus God invites us to lie on our bellies. In a sense, to see, to stop our lives and to see. And today, we're going to talk about a particular truth. Now, this whole Lent is about saying no and dying so we can live. But today, this, we're in a tremendous passage today. I mean, it's a phenomenal passage. But uh, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. But you've got to get into this passage. You've got to live it from the inside. You have to lie on your belly to get it. You've got to get down on the ground so you can see things that you didn't see otherwise. You have to stop. Otherwise, it's just, oh, it's an interesting story, and, but it really doesn't grab our hearts. So um, it, it's actually, this is one of the most, to me, one of the most important texts in the New Testament. Uh, it, it goes to the heart of the whole Christian life because it's the only pathway to Easter. It's the only pathway to a great life. God's got a great life. We're going to use, we'll get for you, we're going to use the image of a cup throughout the service. Uh, Jesus had a, has a cup to drink in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's going to pray, you know, a prayer. You know, Father, you know, if it's possible, may this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. You have a cup in front of you, your life. And God invites you not just to sip the cup, but actually drink it all the way down. You don't have to, but it's your life. But understand that God has a great life for you. But that life begins with a death and multiple deaths in Gethsemane. And trusting, we say, well, we say no to our self-will, and we, we drink it deeply, and I'll explain what that means in a few moments, so that we can say yes to God's will. Because what God has on the other side for your life and for my life is something tremendous. It's a level of joy, a level of contentment, a level of peace, a level of love. Something comes out of you that can come out no other way, but that you first do what Jesus did here. In Gethsemane, you have to lie down, you have to struggle and wrestle, and you've got to say no to self-will so you can say yes to, to God's will. So uh, let's read. I'm going to read the text in Matthew 26 uh, to 36, 36 to, to uh, 46 in Matthew 26, and I'll, I'll read it. It's up there in your PowerPoint, and I invite you to, to enter the text. I mean, try to feel it. Try to, uh, you know, feel the sweat, the, the struggle. Uh, imagine the characters involved here as Jesus is in the garden. Okay? Thus says the Lord. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Amen. And then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, Watch and pray so you will not fall into temptation. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. 
He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he, he found them again, I'm sorry, he found them again sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Now, verse 45, and then he returned to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Now, I want you to catch what's happening in this text. You know, oh, sorry. You know, Jesus goes to this place called Gethsemane, and, and he is, it says he's sorrowful and he is troubled. Now, that word in the original language is basically he's sorrowful, he is depressed. Have you ever been depressed? You're in good company. He says he, he's troubled, and the word there is horror comes over him, it says in Luke. And, and, and he, he's severely distressed. In Greek, it means he's in anguish. And so he says in verse 38, you know, my, 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 my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. I mean, have you ever wanted to die? Like, like you're so overwhelmed that what's in front of you that you just, oh, God, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I'm going to make it. I think I just want to die. If you've never said that, I'm not sure you're alive yet, all right? <laughs> I know I have. I said, oh, God. I, Jesus, my, Jesus, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And in fact, in verse 39, he goes on a little further, and it says he fell with his face to the ground. I want you to try this is, this is Jesus, the Messiah, God incarnate. He, he's, he's flat out on the ground, his face to the ground prostrate. Now, you know, body language tells you a lot, doesn't it? I mean, that body language speaks to how much anguish he's in. I mean, he is struggling. You know, when you kneel, it says something, you know, when you're slouched over, it's that your body language says something. This speaks to the level of anguish Jesus is in. And so, I mean, Luke summarizes it and says this, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So, I want you to catch here that, that he's got a cup in front of him. And the cup is the Father's will for him. And, and he knows it. This is, he's to drink it. But he basically, now for Jesus, he's got to drink the, 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 the wrath of God Almighty, the sins of the human race. He's going to become sin, though he knows no sin. And he's going to make a way for our salvation. But, but he must die. And he must drink the cup. And be, he's going to be cut off from his father. He's going to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, this is the worst of the worst. He's going to be abandoned by everybody, even the father himself. I mean, he is frightening. He's like, oh, God, if there's any way, is there any way that, like, we could skip the cup? Can it be done? And he asks three times. I mean, not just once, but, but three times. I mean, he is wrestling in the garden. He is struggling in the garden. And the obedience didn't just come to Jesus, like in a snap. It doesn't just come to us in a snap. But he struggles, and he learns it, and he moves through it. Now, God's got a future for you, and uh, that future is, is, is going to, it's got some challenges to it. Now, Jesus has got a cup, but he learned obedience from what he suffered, it says, in, in Hebrews 5, 8, not 5, 7. Sorry about that. He learned, although he was a son he learned obedience from what he suffered. There was a learning that Jesus received. He's fully God and he's fully human. But he learned some things in the garden. He learned some things in saying no to self-will and yes to God's will. In this struggle, in this tension, in this time period, in this darkness, that 
Could we learn no other way as he learned obedience from what he suffered? There are things that we learn, friends, in that season of walking through this death experience of saying no to our own will and yes to God. Things happen in us that can happen no other place. And so today we want to expound on that. Now, many scholars struggle with this. They wanted a Jesus who was a superhero. You know, he could be quoting, you know, Psalm 18. You know, with, with his help, I can, I, can, I, can, I can scale a wall. You know, God's on the throne, and here he is. He's crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, this is Jesus flat out in the ground, like asking God to, to pass the cup from him. I mean, he's, he's struggling. He's overwhelmed. He's, he's emotionally overwhelmed. He's, he's struggling with the will of God. And, and so he's not this. And even though in, in if you read church history, there were some people, heretics actually, that would not accept Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was too human. He was too like us. And you see, the point is that all, we are, if we're going to follow Jesus, that means that you too are going to follow him into Gethsemane's. You will experience the same way he did, struggling, and I will, to surrendering to the love of the Father and saying, yes, okay, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And we're all going to have that same experience. So, uh, now, now, I don't know about you, but I, I have a pretty strong self-will. I have since I was two, my mom tells me. And I've had many plans for my life and what should happen. And God has very, very, very often just said no. And I have struggled, you know, for years. Now, some of you know it's like to be in a marriage. You're in difficulties in your marriage. And you're saying, oh, Father, if it's, if it's possible, may this cup pass from me. Or you have to forgive somebody who's betrayed you. And you're like, oh, God, I do not want to do this. Is it possible for me to get out of this? Slay them. Do something, you know? <laughs> or if you've got a child with special needs and you find yourself, oh, God, if it's possible for this cup to pass for me, you know, may it so. Or you're waiting on God for something. You're waiting. It's not happening. And, and you pray, oh, God, like, I, I don't want to do this. And, and you wrestle. Um, I, I'm like you, I don't, trusting God is challenging for me, to trust in the love of God, because, you know, in, in human terms, people I've trusted have let me down, and I, I can't, I don't know where God's going, he doesn't tell me the full picture in advance, and how it's going to happen, when it's going to happen, his timing, as you know, is very different than ours, that makes me nervous, and I like to control, and so I struggle, you know, God, your, your will be done, as long as you do this. But to actually let go and say no to my self-will and surrender and say, okay, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Uh, it's very, very challenging. I, I relate to Jonah who, who went the other way. He got in the boat. God said, go to Nineveh. He says, thank you. I'm going to Spain. <laughs> he just went the opposite direction, 2,400 miles. He said, I'm going to serve God. Yes, I'll serve you, but on my terms, I'll do it in Nineveh. But not, not, I'll do it in Spain, not Nineveh. Judas, he got out too. The idea of surrendering, saying no to his self-will, he, he just quit. Killed himself, but he got out of Jesus' band. And same thing with Peter. Peter wasn't praying. He's, he's just pre The contrast here is Jesus and the disciples. Peter's got a sword in his pocket. He's going to pull it out in just a few verses. When they come to arrest Jesus, he's going to cut off somebody's ear. He's going to use his human strength and human striving. He's going to fix life. He's going to make it happen. And so there's a secret in this passage. It's the secret of the whole Christian life, actually. It's, it's the key to being a follower of Christ. It's so simple, like we, we miss it. And what Jesus does in this passage is what we are invited to do. The way that he says no to self-will and yes to God's will, it's the only way to get there because it's so difficult. It's so incredibly difficult to learn this. And so he teaches it here, teaches us to it, teaches us here how to do it. And it's, it's centered around one word, prayer. 
Most of this passage is about praying. Jesus praying, and the disciples are supposed to be praying. They're sleeping, and they're fantasizing. They're escaping from their hard reality. They're not praying. But the key is in prayer. So what I want to do is I want to give you three simple truths. And they're so simple. I mean, like they could be for our three- to five-year-olds. They're that simple. But they're deep, and they must be lived. You've got to lie on your belly to understand them and to see the miraculous, to actually see it, not just know it in your head. So here it is, number one. The first invitation from this passage from Jesus is to stay in prayer at your lowest moments. Now, we all have low moments. Some of you are in a low moment. Some of you are not, but you will be because low moments come to everybody. And when there's a low moment, things are not going well. If you're like me, I want to get out. I want to jump ship. I'm a great Christian when everything's going well. I don't do as well when God is not doing what I think he should be doing. And when I think the whole thing is going south. And I'm very tempted not to pray anymore, not to talk to him anymore until he straightens it out. And uh, so, so, but these low moments when we don't, you know, feel God in the same wonderful way. Jesus is not feeling so good right now in the Garden of Gethsemane. There will be times you will not feel very good either. I mean, he wants to die, but, in a, you know, die, not death for sin, just die. So it comes to us, I think, in two ways. One, one is, you know, there, there's, there's cups that come to us to drink that when we start listening to what God's doing inside of our own heart, God speaks to us. So, for example, you know, we, we get in touch with our deep desires and, and, and visions from God inside of us. And then we realize that we can't be living everybody else's expectations for our lives. Everyone's got a plan for your life, but God's got a plan for you. And to follow God's plan means you've got to differentiate. You've got to be willing, like Jesus, to separate you know, from people that may have a plan, and that's painful. You know, uh, Rilke is a German poet, and he writes to this guy who is a poet, a writer, and he's asking this guy Rilke, should I be a poet? And Rilke writes him back and says, you keep comparing yourself to people. You keep kind of get editors to approve of you. You don't understand. There's only one way to find out, you know, basically what God's doing inside of you. You've got to listen to in, inside of you. That, that, that this is something you absolutely must do or you'll die. But God's coming to you through your deepest desires. But you've got to have the courage to actually step out and do it. But the death is in this. The low moment is once I start doing it, people misunderstand me. They don't like me. Oh, my gosh. They wonder if I lost my mind. But God's got a life for you to live. And it takes courage to lead it, even if people don't understand it. But more commonly, we end up in Gethsemane in low points because uh, we hit walls, I call them, or difficulties. I'm, I'm talking about like a, a crisis comes in that turns your world upside down. You know, you, 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 maybe you end up with a divorce. Or you end up where you, you're unemployed, you lose your job. Or your, uh, one of your children go off out, out there. Or someone dies whom you have loved just unexpectedly. Or, or you, you go to a doctor one day and you get a di- diagnosis of something like a cancer that's going to change your life forever. Or you go into church and you give yourself fully to a church and you you get betrayed. You feel like, oh my gosh, you get disillusioned. You say, I'm out of here. I didn't sign up for this. Happened to Judas. Or you get a desire to get married and you want to get married. Where is it? What's not happening? Or you're married. You want to have a child. That's not happening either. And you find yourself, oh my God, like, like I, and you're, 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 it's, it's low. Or your dreams being shattered and I can go on. But I will say, I know one that, well, that hits all of us for sure 
is we come to places where our feelings of, for God, like it feels great and awesome, we're celebrating, they dissipate. And all of a sudden, we realize the feelings aren't there like they used to be. And we wonder, has God left me? And we hit a wall. And what happens, we end up closing our hearts. That's the great temptation. We're in a low spot, we stop praying. I'm not going to talk to you, God. We close our hearts up, and we no longer surrender to his will. We basically say, okay, God, uh, it's my will now, because your will, I don't know about that. I don't know where it's going. And we shut down. One of my favorite stories or or, or books on the issue of um, a wall and staying with God in prayer, even when things are going terrible, is a book by a professor at Yale. He's a theologian. Uh, teaches pastors, and he had a son, 25 years old, that was killed in a mountain climbing uh, accident. And he wrote a book for a book about it called "Lament for a Son." And he writes this. He says, "You know, Eric, his son, he was bursting with plans, and he goes, now it's all gone. All his rich future that he held is gone in a few tumbling seconds. Nothing fills the void of his absence. We can't go out and get another Eric." There's a hole in the world right now. In a place where he was, there's just a gap. There's nothing. And here's what he writes. Please don't say it's not really so bad. Because it is. Death's awful. It's demonic. I cannot fit it all together by saying whatever. I can only with Job endure. He's staying. That's all I can do. I do not know why God did not prevent Eric's death. I believe in God the Father Almighty, a maker of heaven and earth, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I also believe my son's life was cut off in its prime. I cannot fit these pieces together about a loss. But the key line in there is, and the key line of the whole book is, I don't understand, but, but I'm going to endure. I'm going to stay. I've been following the genocide in Rwanda for 20 years because to me it was, it was, it was the most incredible, rapid genocide in human history. And if you know the story, 800,000 to 1 million people were killed in a tribal conflict in only a hundred days, a little over three months. And they recently commemorated 20 years of that genocide. And a number of these folks were Christians. And the New York Times did, did, did pictures or portraits of reconciliation because what they did was they had so many people that were involved in the genocide that they had to release most of them out of prison. And they went to live in the same neighborhoods where they had killed sons and daughters and husbands and fathers. So the issue of how do you reconcile? And so this, it was just, these were pictures they, they put up in the New York Times. So here's a, a woman, and so I don't know, and, and there's one of the, one of the perpetrators or, or, or murderers. And so imagine living down the street from someone who killed a family member and, and being asked, not my will, but your will be done, and to forgive that person. You think you've had challenges of forgiveness? So I actually met a fellow once from the Congo and we were talking about forgiveness at an old seminar, and he raises his hand and says, just help me understand, how do I forgive someone who killed a member of my family? I mean, that was outside of my box. So, so that's, that's hitting a wall, you can, you can imagine. But how do I say, okay, God, I'm not going to choose self-will, which is bitterness. I'm going to open myself up, surrender to your love, that you might actually transform me, that I might somehow be able to forgive and love. Sometimes God says no. Have you found that out? He said no to David. David wanted to build a temple. God said no. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was. Three times. He said, God, please take it away. Paul's a pretty powerful guy. God said no. Jesus asked, is there any way we can get rid of this cup? And the father said, no, I need you to drink this cup. 
The process of being in those low points and staying with Jesus is very severe. I'm not minimizing it. I, 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 I've had at least six to nine deep ones of my own. But all I can say to you is this. It's a gift. That somehow God does something in your will. Our wills are incredibly broken, damaged, and stubborn. And God somehow needs to transform that stubborn, hard will that wants its way, that wants to control, and melt it. And, and, and shed that false self off of you and me. And, and somehow birth wisdom and compassion and maturity and, and life. But, but he's got to break that thing. And the way he breaks it is through these things called dark nights. And they're dark nights. They're valleys of the shadow of death. But God says, I want you to know something. There is a crucifixion, but there's always a resurrection. And I've got a cup for you to drink. But I want you to know the cup you're going to drink, I want you to drink it all the way. But I want you to know on the other side is life. It's the plan I've got for your life. And it's a fantastic plan. It's one, don't be afraid, but drink it. Trust me, say no to your self-will. You do not have it figured out. You have no idea what's going on. But I promise you this, that out of suffering, out of evil, God, I will weave in something beautiful for your salvation, for the people around you's salvation, and for the salvation of the world. That it's all going to be for good. Nothing will be wasted, not a drop. And so when we're in a low moment, and you will be, I want you to understand, God's allowing it because he loves you. You are not above your teacher, Jesus. His pattern is going to be your pattern and my pattern. But he's calling us to be a gift to the world. And that self-will's got to be broken. So we stay with him. But secondly, we learn to pray each day. One of the key things about this text in Jesus is, is he keeps referring to Abba, Father. Oh, Abba, Father. And then he prays, you know, if it's possible, um, you know, may this cup pass from me. But he always addresses Father. Because Jesus has a life every day of communion and abiding in the Father. He wakes up early in the morning and he prays. We read in Mark 1. He's constantly going to lonely places and prays. He goes to the mountaintop and prays. He prays all night. I mean, he's just, his life is prayer. That's I mean, what the disciples say, teach me to pray. So he, he, he's built a life. And out of that, when he hits the crisis, he's ready. Now, I meet people all the time that will say to me, you know, Pastor Pete, I'm just not good at prayer. And, yeah, I, I know. I mean, no one's naturally good at prayer. But, but prayer is the whole Christian life. It's about relating with God. Now, here's my problem. I used to watch people pray before I became a Christian. I used to say, to, I used to watch, and I'd say, who are they talking to? Like, what are they doing? mumbling over there. And then when I became a Christian, I remember, you know, starting to talk to God and pray. And, and I used to say, am I talking to the air? <laughs> like, am I losing it? And, and then I, I, I kind of learned, okay, praying is like talking to God. So I began to talk a lot to God. Then I kind of moved into, okay, I'm going to listen to God, you know. And, but, but then I finally had this kind of like, I, I finally got it. Like, Prayer is, is that, yes, but it's way more than that. Prayer, prayer is about abiding with the Father. It's about communion with the Father. It's about receiving His love. It's about being with Him. Like right now, we can be praying because we're aware of His presence in this room. So our whole life, in a sense, is one of communion with God all, all through the day. And uh, prayer is about relationship. And so, you know, think, think of your phone for a second. 
Now, if you're, you know, we carry around our, our, our phones, and this thing goes with us everywhere we are, right? I mean, we have music on there, we got our agendas on there, we got Twitter, Facebook, we've got iTunes, we've got Instagram, we've got email. I mean, we're just, and it's always going off. And now there's something called phantom vibration syndrome. Syndrome. You heard of that? <laughs> phantom vibration sy syndrome is you don't, your phone is not even buzzing, but you feel like it's buzzing. <laughs> it, it, now, actually, psychologists are studying this phenomenon because it's so rewiring our brains that we're like, I mean, just watch someone when they lose their phone. Just for like 10 minutes. You, you get crazy. Now, the Christian life is this, and this is one of our famous, you know, paintings or, and texts at New Life Fellowship. It's Rembrandt's rendition of the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, he painted it in the 1500s. But uh, if you remember, the son runs away from home, and he comes back home. And there's the father, there's the son, and there's the elder brother watching. But the elder brother is not lying on his belly, all right? He's just watching. It's all in his head. The younger brother, it's learning every day to begin to grow your prayer life so that when you get to Gethsemane, like Jesus, you're able to say no to self-will and yes to God's will. You're able, you've got enough history to surrender to him. Otherwise, what happens, you hit Gethsemane a very difficult time, and you, you find yourself, I'm not ready for this. So that's why learning every day to abide in the Father is so incredibly important. Prayer, friends, is so powerful. It's way more powerful than we could ever imagine. Jesus said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can pray and say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it'll go. Matthew 17. When you come for prayer, it's powerful at the end of a service. Prayer does, has power that Peter, the apostle, will never understand. He's got a knife in his pocket. He thinks he has power. He doesn't have anything. We think we've got power to control things and make things happen. Jesus says, no, you don't get it. Prayer is incredibly powerful. And so learning to pray is the most important thing in your life. Not, not middle importance. In fact, if anything, prayer, learning to pray, if you don't know what you're doing, you get before God and say, I don't know, this, I feel like it was a big flop. Just the fact that you tried and you got before God was a statement of humility. That you have limits and I need, you're saying, I need you, God. That's worth the whole prayer time. I need you. Because I don't know, I'm limited and you're God and I'm not. I have many people have come to me over the years, teenagers, young adults, folks in transition, and they say, Pete, I need some advice about a decision I have to make. And uh, they'll ask me for counsel, whether it's their job or moving or relationship. And, and at some point, I'll, I'll say to them, well, have you, like, asked God for his will? I mean, it's okay to say, Lord, I would like this, but not my will, but your will be done. I'm surrendering to your love in this thing, but you're actually coming to God and really asking him, Lord, what, what is your will? And I'm surrendering to your will, whatever it might be. And I'd say in 90 plus percent of the cases, people say to me, no, 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 just, just give me the advice. I just want to get the counsel, you know, and, and then I'll be able to figure it out and I'll know what's best. And I want to say to them, you're 21 years old. You have no idea what's ahead of you. Your, your understanding of life and all the factors is like a thimble to God's ocean of wisdom. And so this core moment of your life is about saying no to self-will and like Jesus saying, Lord, your will be done. Yes, you do your planning, your thought, but it's that surrender. Okay, one last thing here. So, so I stay with him in prayer at low moments. I learn to pray every day, 
And then finally, I've got to find some people, some companions for the journey who can pray with me. You need some folks praying for you. Jesus needed three people to pray for him. Peter, James, and John. He, he says, come watch with me and pray. And, and they keep falling asleep, you know, and they keep getting distracted. But what's so fascinating is he needed, the human Jesus needed some people to stand with him. Now, no one can do it for you, but he needed them. Isolation is a great dilemma. Now, do you have in your life one or two people that love you enough that when you're struggling, thinking about throwing the whole thing out, that they're going to pray with you? They're, they're going to be with you in prayer that you're going to make it through this thing because prayer is powerful. Or are the friends you have when you're struggling going to say to you, hey, let's go to Cancun. Let's get out of here. That's a bad idea. You're waiting on God. It's not working. Like Job's wife, curse God and die. The reason we're so committed to small groups and ministries here is we're trying to cultivate connections and relationships because he who is alone or she who is alone in Gethsemane without anybody praying for them, that is very sad because you were never meant to walk through that thing alone. Just two or three. I would not be standing today if God has not, had not along the way brought me people that have prayed with me when I couldn't even pray and standing with me. And I, I think of one good mentor of mine who prayed me through one of my deepest valleys. I couldn't see anything. And I remember him calling me saying, Pete, I promise you there's light at the end of the tunnel. I promise you. Just stay with Jesus. Because everything in me wanted to just end it and say, this isn't working for me. And just even recently, a, a fellow was a mentor, and he prays for me. And, and he said to me, Pete, I want you to know this. Listen to me. He says, you're... You're, 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 you're young. You know, I was saying, oh, I'm all washed up, an old man now, you know. But I was, trying, I was trying to get perspective. He goes, Pete, I want to give you perspective here. I've been around a long time. I've worked with corporate leaders and all that. And he goes, I'm telling you this. I'm praying this into you that you'll get it, that, that your best years are ahead of you in the 60s, then your 70s. And your third best decade of your life is actually your 50s. And he goes, I'm, I'm telling you, that you got a tremendous, he goes, get perspective. And I'm praying that you'll relax and be patient and enjoy the, the journey. I'm thankful I see some of you in the audience right now that, that I know are intercessors for me, you know, and, and jury, and I know for Rich, and I, I, I can't tell you, I know that you're a lifeline. I, I know that it's frightening the thought of you not being there. So my question is, do you have some people like that in your life? Just one or two, not I have 30, that you know they'll stay and they'll be praying for you in your worst moments because we need them. And if Jesus needed them, how much more do we? So here, here's I want to close with this. If you will follow this way of Jesus and not quit, if you'll say no to self-will in those moments, even when things are going poorly, and say yes to God's will, even though you can't see a thing, God will meet you. God will bring you to resurrection. God will bring you to life. I'm telling you, like Jesus, he's a completely different person when he comes out of it. And so um, I'm not talking about being like resigned, like, okay, God, I got to do this. Your will rots, but okay. It's not that. It, it is... And a sense of, okay, this is awful. I don't know why, but I'm, I'm excited because I know, God, I'm, that somehow you're a God of resurrection. That, Lord, you're alive. And that somehow, God, as I surrender to you, God, you're going to bring something good out of this thing, even though I can't see it. Now, again, it may take a while, but God promises you, if you surrender to my love and my will, I promise you, you will have a resurrection. I promise you, you'll come out alive on the other side. And you'll come out different, better, and glad you walked through that with me. And so I want to invite the worship team to come on forward. Now, some of you in this room, 
you are going the wrong direction. You're not even asking God about his will. You're just like, you're just, you're just running your life. You enjoy God once in a while. You talk to him once in a while. But basically, you're, you're, you're doing it. You're running your life. You haven't even been thinking about it. Others of you, God has put something before you. And you know what you said? You like Nineveh. You got in a ship and you said, I'm going the other way. And you know him. You, you know God. But you're running. And somehow God brought you here today because he loves you. He got you in this room, and he's calling you back. Others of you, you're just doing God partially, you know, in certain areas, but you're not willing to go all the way, and so God wants to come to you. So here's what we're going to do to close. We're going we're gonna, to, you know, in some ways, to pray that prayer, Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, not my will. We, we want to be praying that every day. Every day, this Garden of Gethsemane, this is our general prayer of surrender to God, no to self-will, and yes to God's will. But I want to I lead us into an exercise in which we're all going to, figuratively speaking, lie on our belly. That we can experience the passage. And so I'm going to give you about 30 seconds and, uh, to think about this question. What is God calling you to say yes to that you have been avoiding? What is God calling you to say yes to that you have been avoiding? So what I'm going to do is I, I, I'm going to give you uh, some areas after about 30 seconds to kind of help stimulate your thinking. And then I want to invite you to, to surrender your self-will to his. And here's the cup, okay? God's got a cup for you. I'm going to invite you not just to sip it, but to drink it all the way, trusting in his love, which endures forever, and saying yes to his will, okay? So, I'm going to invite you to kind of get comfortable, close your eyes before the Lord, and we're going to be still before the Lord in His presence. And maybe just take a deep breath in, you know, and then breathe out. Just kind of slow down your heartbeat as we wait on the Lord. I want to invite you to surrender to his love, his arms of love, saying, Lord, not my will, but yours. So as you're in the presence of God right now, you know, and say, our Father, Father, Abba. Here, I'm going to give you some areas and I, that may apply to you. You're a parent, you've got children, you've got plans for those children. And I want to invite you to say, oh, Abba, Father, not my will, but your will. Maybe you've got some future plans, how your life is going to unfold some priorities, you've got goals, and right now with your hands open before God, say, Lord, so not, not my will, Lord, but yours. I surrender to you. Maybe it's your career and your work. 
and you've got that laid out too, or, or maybe you're finding yourself in a transition. Say, God, not my self-will, Lord, not my will but yours. Or perhaps it's, it's security and money, and you, 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 you've got that all planned out. And you want to make sure you're secure. And God's saying, I want you to let go of that too. Say, Lord, I surrender that to you. Not my will, but your will. Or maybe it's a relationship you're involved in that's destructive. Or some relationship that you've been betrayed and hurt. And you need to say, okay, God, not my will, but your will. Do in me what you want to do, Lord. But I surrender to your love. Some of you are holding on to your gifts and your talents, your experiences, and you kind of just manage it as if it's all yours. Even the time that you're alive, I want to invite you to say, okay, God, not my will for my life, but yours. I surrender to your love. Just take about 30 seconds more and just silence before God and just wrestle with him and let go and surrender your self-will to his goodwill. Thank you. Let's all stand. Lord, I come and I confess. Amen. I want to invite the uh, prayer teams to come forward, and I want we've uh, going to have prayer. But I, I have like a word that I'd like to share with you. You know, some of you are teenagers here, some of you are in your 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s, even 80s, first service, I know. And, and God's got a, a cup for you to drink. But you know, he said to his disciples, pray and watch, pray and watch that you do not fall into temptation. Amen. And they did, because they weren't praying, and so they just fell. Peter, James, and John, the whole bunch of them, Judas quit altogether. Do you understand, like, this is like life and death for you. This isn't like just a little sermon. This is like... I want you to lie on your belly for just a moment and see. There are powers and principalities of evil Amen. that have one objective, and that is to put you asleep, get you in a fantasy land, and in a sense almost drug you up to sleep through, sleepwalk through life. And to cut you off from that life of prayer with Jesus. Because that Jesus is life. And if he can cut you off from there, you're not going to live the life God's called you. You're not going to drink the cup. You're going to do it all yourself. Yeah, you'll believe in God. But the demons believe, it says in Scripture, and they shudder. God has an invitation for you today. Your life is incredibly significant. Jesus drank the cup, and here we are today for the salvation of the world. I don't know how it works. We may not be Jesus, but as you and I drink our cup, we are a gift for those around us. We bring life for those around us. That every suffering you've been through, we put it in Jesus' hands. It becomes a gift of gold for those around us. It, it advances the redemption of the world somehow. But it takes tremendous trust when you can't see anything. To say, okay, God, not my will, but yours be done. And then we drink it all the way. It takes a trust in this love of the Father. So I want to invite you as we close to basically 
make a stand that at least for now, you say no to self-will, you trying to run your life and figure the whole thing out, that you actually say yes to the love of the Father and you surrender to His will. Whatever that might be. Because your life is meant to be a life, seriously, of greatness. Not a life of the pits. There is Easter Sunday, friends. And we will sing of it next Sunday. But right now, it's Gethsemane. So our prayer teams are going to come up here. And they'll stay as long as they need to stay. But I want to invite you to come for prayer. Because prayer releases power. And especially if you're standing alone and you're running away, you need to come. And re-surrender your life to Christ. And get that straight. And let some power from God, the Holy Spirit, basically save you from destructive tendencies that you're involved in right now. And blow that wind through your life. Okay, so as we close, I want to invite you to open up your hands towards heaven like this. The communion table's over here to your right. And just just receive the love of the Father. And the great news of, of Jesus is that he loves disciples even who are asleep. He loves Peter, James, and John. He loves you. So may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. May the Lord grant you a a revelation of the height and breadth and depth of his love for you. May you see the miracle of the fact that he is good and his love endures forever. And may he melt by the Holy Spirit your tough self-will, the control, the need to control and know everything in advance. And may God by his spirit just breathe on you and melt your will, that your will might become one with his, not become like a child. And may you by his power come forth out of a grave into resurrection life. And may your life be the gift for others that he intends. So blessing on you as you leave this place, I pray in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody.